Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 10 of the Rattle Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jesse Friedman, along with Jeff Weiser, my co-host here on the Rattle. And Jeff, we've got a lot to break down here in this kind of mid-season episode as we are currently uh, still in the midst of All-Star Week. Of course, all of the festivities are now behind us, which we will talk about in a moment. And the second half of the 2019 baseball season will commence tomorrow. The Diamondbacks will be in St. Louis getting their first look of the season at their former first baseman, Paul Goldschmidt. Should be fun to see what Goldie has in store this weekend as the Diamondbacks play the Cardinals for the first time this year. Uh, But before we jump into the Diamondbacks' second half and and the storyline of what they might do at the trade deadline, we do want to talk just briefly about the All-Star Week that just happened in Cleveland. I think by all accounts, it was a really a tremendous event. I'm out here in Springfield, Illinois uh, for an internship, which I think I've mentioned maybe a couple times on the show. But because of that, I'm in the Midwest area. I was able to make the trek out to Cleveland to see the Futures game on Sunday and then the Home Run Derby on Monday. And Jeff, uh, you didn't, as much as I enjoyed being in the audience for that event, talking about Monday, the Home Run Derby, I don't think you had to be there to get just that incredible experience that so many of us felt with Vlad Vlad Guerrero Jr. doing what he did, Jock Peterson doing what he did, uh, the triple overtime finish, if you will, between those two guys uh, in the semifinal round. It was potentially the best home run derby ever. I had the opportunity to be there, uh, which was absolutely incredible, but I think this is an event that people all around the country and potentially even around the world really, really enjoyed. Maybe the best home run derby we've seen yet. Yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't watched, you know, I haven't watched every home run derby in the history of home run derbies, but that was incredible. Um, you know, I, I guess sort of my barometer, right, uh, with baseball is is how much, you know, people outside of our bubble enjoy those things. And to see mm. sort of the, the national like spotlight come to uh, how exciting it was. And even my fiance was just like, this is incredible. <laughs> like, this is wild. How do they, how are that you know this is so crazy and um it just you know I'm like well when she gets excited like <laughs> that tells me that that something big is going on um and it was just it was just wild and um you know I I don't know did did you come close to catching any any home runs I was pretty close on one I think it was Jock Peterson I was right by the right field foul pole uh, I had a standing room only seat so I was kind of behind the stands a little bit so Guys really had to get a hold of the baseball in order for it to get out to me. Um, and I think there were more, there were several more right-handed hitters than lefties who yeah. made the derby. Um, right. So if I were really thinking, I probably should have lined myself up near the left field foul pole, which was also a standing room only section. Um, but yeah, there was one There was one bomb that Jock Peterson hit that uh, there was a little scramble about probably five, ten feet in front of me that happened for a baseball. But other than that, I was not, un- I was unfortunately not all that close. But I mean, regardless, as much as you know, catching a home run would have really sealed the deal as an incredible home run derby experience. I mean, you mentioned your fiance Annie; um, she's getting into it, and I think it was it was that kind of a night for baseball, yeah, which doesn't. It was. It doesn't happen very often where it's it feels like baseball kind of rose to the top of the national outlook on sports. And it, and I think it has kind of a unique uh, platform this time of year 
when you know the NBA, we've got summer league going on, but nothing too big. The NFL has yet to open their training camps. It's kind of a, a obviously there's still tons of sporting events going on around the around the country and around the world, but it's kind of a, a lull, relatively speaking, in the United States. And and baseball certainly uh, you know brought out the home run derby in full force on Monday. They took full advantage of that platform. Absolutely. And and I hate to put you on the spot, but I have to ask you if you had had <laughs> caught a Jock Peterson home run from the home run derby, would you have thrown it back onto the field? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good question. I don't know if throwing it back is like socially acceptable at a home run derby. I don't derby. think it is. <laughs> I don't know if that's really a thing. So, you know, maybe at Chase Field, if something like that had happened, maybe even if I'm out at Dodger Stadium and I catch a Jock Peterson home run, I would think about it. But at the Home Run Derby, especially with the history of that moment with Vlad Guerrero and Jock Peterson tying twice, they both hit 29 home runs initially, which I believe set the record for the most home runs ever. With that kind of history attached to that baseball, Jeff, I gotta, I gotta say I would hold on to it. Yeah, I can't blame you one little bit. I'd say the exact same thing, so I uh, don't blame you. Another uh, fun thing that happened during All-Star Week, of course, there was the Futures game on Sunday, which I was also at. Just a really fun event. Pretty much all of the top prospects, guys who are going to be All-Stars at the Major League level in probably just a few years. Uh, you got to see a good preview of some of those players. The Diamondbacks had two representatives there, Dalton Varsho their catching prospect with double A, and then their outfield prospect Alec Thomas uh, from Kane County was also there. Both got to play in that game. I believe Dalton Varsho got the start. Thomas came in as a as a pinch runner later in the game, took in at bat as well. Um, but I also want to talk about, uh, about Tuesday's game with the All-Star game. Cattell Marte, we did it last time we recorded a show. It's been a couple weeks, uh, but we were all pulling for Cattell Marte. Uh, trying to get all you guys, our listeners out there, to vote as much as you possibly could. And Cattell Marte, indeed, was able to start the All-Star game. Uh, He had a big double. Unfortunately, I don't believe he was brought around to score after he let off the inning with a double. Um, But nonetheless, uh, good to see Cattell Marte representing the Diamondbacks in a a slot that he absolutely deserved. Yeah, um, we should, like, check in with him because he also took that ground ball from Mike Trout that came off the bat yeah. at, like, 110 <laughs> miles an hour, yep. bounced once, and hit him in the chest. <laughs> yeah, I did see that. What a tough guy, though. I mean, I know the camera's on you, and I know you, you know, have to look tough. But my word to, like, not grimace and just be like, yep, I got it. I mean, <laughs> I think it's okay if Mike Trout blasts you to, like, show some pain. But yeah. Cattell Marte is a tough, tough dude because uh, he didn't show it at all. Yeah, no, that was absolutely impressive. I think it was like a one-hopper. He kind of got the glove on it a little bit, but he definitely stopped it with his chest more than anything else. Uh, Absolutely uh, had to be a little bit painful for uh, Cattell Marte. But he has been, as we've talked about on this show, absolutely phenomenal uh, looking back at his first half. He enters the second half of the season tied for fourth place uh, in wins above replacement for position players. Um, according to fan graphs, he's at 3.8 wins above replacement heading into the second half, wow. which is an extremely, extremely good number. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with wins above replacement, 3.8 at the halfway point will get you some MVP votes usually um, if you're able to maintain that pace throughout the season. Um, moving on from that, Jeff, um, the All-Star Week, absolutely fun. 
Um, but we've got a big second half coming up for the Diamondbacks. Should be exciting to see how this whole thing unfolds. And you look at how the Diamondbacks performed going into the All-Star break, and I don't think it was you know necessarily all that impressive. Uh, they finished the first half with a good sweep of the Colorado Rockies, uh, so they ended the first half on a high note. But you look at the games they played before that, they had a couple of disastrous losses in Los Angeles. Uh, the first of those, I believe, was the game where they literally walked the um, winning run for the Dodgers around the bases. Yeah. Uh, which was uh, an extremely painful game to watch. We probably don't need to go into that at this point. Hopefully, those of you in our in our audience who watched that game have have emotionally recovered from the trauma that you went through that <laughs> evening. Uh, so we won't we won't break back into that too much. But all that to say, the Diamondbacks did not necessarily play their best baseball uh, to finish up the first half. It was kind of a, a little bit of good, a little bit of bad, a little bit of good to finish things off with the series against Colorado. But, Jeff, you look up at the standings, the Diamondbacks somehow, some way, are only a game and a half out of a playoff spot as we head into the second half of the season. And I think both of us have kind of been leaning on the side of probably not going for it this season. It doesn't hasn't looked for the most part like the Diamondbacks really had a legitimate shot at, at you know, coming up over so many teams who have been in this race all season long. But now it almost looks like, you know, going forward, at least to some extent, has to be, you know, a legitimate consideration for the Diamondbacks. Yeah, and if not, you know, and if not really pushing in uh, super hard, at the very least, um, you know, staying in the race. Right. Uh, it doesn't seem, you know, at a game and a half out with, you know, more than 50% of the season complete, you know, uh, to just, you know, remove themselves from the competition altogether uh, doesn't seem prudent, uh, to say the least. And so, you know, it, again, you know, we've talked about it. Um, their run differential remains extremely good. Uh, you know, they're kind of like expected, you know, expected win-loss record looks considerably more favorable than where they're at right now in the standings. And so I think there's some real reason for optimism, uh, you know, considering kind of where they're at. And, and this is, you know, now we're past the all-star break. Uh, all of the GMs have, have had a little time to maybe, you know, put their feet up for a day. Uh, and we should start seeing some movement in the trade market. Um, we have just about three weeks until the trade deadline. And so things should start to heat up and, you know, I heard uh, I heard Mike Hazen on the radio recently, and he was just talking about that there's there's not been really any activity. Like no one has, you know, nothing's really happening. Names aren't really being thrown around, and you know, he said it's just been really quiet. Like even their attempts to kind of engage have been, you know, muted to a degree, and so hmm. um, that shouldn't last too much longer. Things should really start to heat up, and. You know, at this point, it's also really hard to see who the sellers are going to be outside of the really obvious candidates. I mean, even, you know, San Francisco is not a very good baseball team. And, and by no means do we think that they're, you know, really trying to, to make the playoffs this year. But they're only five and a half games out of a wild card spot. I mean, that's not far. Yeah. Um, so everyone north of that, I mean, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Colorado, I mean, San Diego, St. Louis, what are those teams going to do? Um could be really interesting. It's a little more clear cut on the American lead side, and and maybe that's where some of the the trade targets really lie. But uh, it's it's still pretty muddy right now, and uh, it's it's muddy for this team. It's muddy maybe a little bit for their direction, and it's it's a muddy trade market. But I think we'll 
we'll finally start to see some movement now that the uh, that the All Star break is is just about completely behind us. Well, according to Fangraphs, the Diamondbacks entering the second half have a 17% chance to make the playoffs. I'm not sure exactly how they come up with these numbers, but for those of you who are curious, 17% is what they've given the Diamondbacks. The Nationals are up at 78%, um, and then the Brewers are at 37.5%. Those are the two teams in the wild card race with the greatest percentages. So according to Fangraphs, it would be the Brewers and the Nationals who may have a slight edge in the wild card race. Uh, but Jeff, we were we were talking just a few moments ago before we started recording, and I think you you made a really good point. The Diamondbacks have an opportunity to be an interesting team next year, and there's really no reason to think that what they've done this season hovering around 500 has been any kind of fluke. I think it's really been about two expectations. It's about what we expected for this team. Um, and if you can go into next season, maybe fix some things down in the bullpen. Uh, I know you listed all the names that the Diamondbacks are, are going to lose at the end of this season before the show. Maybe you can uh, pull out that list once again. But none of those names, at, at least from my perspective, were really all that concerning. Uh, the, the core of this team is going to be here for next year. They've got a lot of guys who have been injured throughout most of the season, who they also will get back next year. And, and it, it all kind of points to this idea of, you know, maybe you don't go all in to the degree that the Diamondbacks have the last couple of years, but maybe you kind of go all in to uh, for next season uh, to some degree maybe you're kind of just trying to piece some things together don't acquire any player who's only under control for this year but you know if you can bring in a reliever who's under control for for a year or two after this one or if you can you know bring in some other help that could that could continue to make this Diamondbacks team competitive for years to come they have a shot to come back out next year even if it's not this season and still be a pretty good baseball team yeah, I mean, the crux of what this team is is going to be back. Um, and that's that's encouraging because, um, you know, there was some skepticism when, when you know, projection systems like Zips and Pakoda uh, forecast the Diamondbacks to be, you know, uh, uh, within a game or two of 500 either way. Um, and, and I know that, that it was maybe hard to see that, you know, at the time, realizing that Paul Goldschmidt had been dealt, uh, A.J. Pollock had... Uh, you know, headed to Los Angeles. Um, and so it maybe, you know, felt like, ah, how, you know, how could they possibly replicate, you know, any kind of success on the field without those two? But, um, you know, they've done it with, with kind of a, what I think is probably a little bit deeper of a lineup than they've had in the past. And that's been helped by, you know, Cattell Marte taking a big step forward and Nick Ahmed being less bad offensively. And, you know, guys like Christian Walker showing that, that, you know, he can, that he can hack it uh, to some degree and, and Carson Kelly's emergence. So the lineup's gotten better kind of throughout and, you know, the rotation will still be there. You, you know, you're, you're going to, you're going to get Taiwan Walker back. John Duplantier is going to have, you know, some, some major league time under his belt. Um, we don't quite know what's up with, with Luke Weaver entirely just yet, but you know, things look pretty good. Um, hmm. And the real weak spot is, is just the bullpen. And I know you, you alluded to that, that list but you know the guys that I came up with that are that are on the the active roster as of now including the disabled list that you know at least aren't under control for next year is is Alex Avila, Adam Jones, Gerard Dyson, Yoshi Hirano, Wilmer Flores, Greg Holland and Blake Swihart. Hmm. Uh the only guy I mean we were talking before I mean the, out of that out of that crop of guys the only one that I you know really would 
would care to see back uh, is probably Gerard Dyson. Um, hmm. You know, and, and outside of that, I mean, losing those those players from the roster does not necessarily put it in a position where it can't contend. The guys that are holding this team together are all going to be there again in 2020. Yeah, that's a pretty it's a pretty compelling argument. You've just about got me convinced, Jeff. Um, moving on from that, I think if you look um, just at this Diamondbacks roster as a whole, uh, Cattell Marte is is under control for several years into the future. We've talked before about the extension that the Diamondbacks signed with him a couple years ago. He's he has suddenly become a player for me. Where you know, I, I don't know if we know exactly how good Cattell Marte is yet. I don't know if he is going to be a top five player in Major League Baseball as a position player, you know, into the foreseeable future. But I, I remember when Paul Goldschmidt was a Diamondback, there was this ongoing narrative of you've got, you know, one of the top five, top 10 best players in the Major Leagues, and you don't want to waste that. You know, when, when you have a guy going through his prime and under team control at a really affordable rate, that is your time to go in and try to get something done in the way of contending for, you know, a, a National League crown or a World Series or however far you can go. And I don't know if we're quite to that point yet with Cattell Marte. I think he still has, you know, some some proving left to do um, since, you know, this half of a season has probably been substantially more productive than any half of a season he's, he's had in the past. Um, but the Diamondbacks could legitimately get to the point um, where Cattell Marte's prime is something that you do not want to waste. Um, and I think that's definitely something they could look at moving forward. Um, as, as far as this year goes, one thing I want to touch on real quick is I think, Jeff, we can probably say without a doubt the number one obstacle for the Diamondbacks to contending this season is definitely their bullpen. Um, yeah. This has been... This has been pretty rough um, as of late. Greg Holland has really started to falter uh, as of late. We mentioned uh, the two disastrous outings against the Dodgers uh, that came early last week. And it's gotten to the point where you just don't know if you can really trust Holland in the ninth inning. And the Diamondbacks, uh, you know, a lot of people have called for, hey, you've got to, you know, go to someone else in, in that ninth inning as a closer instead of Holland, I, I don't know who else on this roster really gives you a clear, better shot. Um, maybe Yoan Lopez, but I think I'm also a little skeptical as you are that he's really as good as he's pitched this season. The Diamondbacks just don't really have any clearly above average relief pitchers at this point. And in order to try to make a run this season, that is something they would have to address and, and probably dramatically so here at the deadline. Yeah, I agree, and, and that's why I think uh, they're maybe better positioned to make some moves with the eye to 2020 as opposed to trying to patch up the bullpen right now. Right. Um, I, I don't know what closers are going to be available that are affordable to them uh, that's going to allow them to try to uh, patch things up You know, at this point in time. Uh, there were rumors floated about the Giants ask, asking price for their closer, Will Smith, and it sounded exorbitantly high, mm. uh, something that the Diamondbacks, I don't believe, would ever touch. Uh, Kirby Yates is out there from the Padres, but I you know, kind of hesitant to think that the Padres, A, want to deal him because he's super cheap, and 
B, uh, they're not really out of this race either, and he's a guy that they can just slot in next year. So I, I don't even know that I really see him moving. Hmm. Um, and outside of that, I mean, it starts to get a little dicey. Like, there's not a ton that's projected to probably really be available in terms of, like, dominant relief pitching, um, and especially something that really fits their budget. So I, I think maybe they end up kind of just trying to nurse it through this year and, and maybe add what they can. Um, a couple of relievers that that should be available um, are Shane Green of Detroit and Michael Givens of Baltimore. Uh, those are two guys that are controlled. Uh, Green is controlled through next season, and Givens is controlled through 2021. Um, those are guys that could slot in as, you know, probably not as necessarily as closers, but as, uh, you know, core setup guys. And I do think Andrew Chafin has been really good. Uh, it, I, he just continues to continues to shine in a bullpen that has, as you mentioned, been obviously, you know, uh, pretty lackluster. So, hmm. you know, that those are guys that the asking price is probably, you know, somewhat affordable. And, you know, I think the team really is probably like two relievers short right now. Um, hmm. If you add a Shane Green, who was an all-star, or a Michael Givens, who was an all-star, and then somehow find a way to add a closer over the winter, either by trade or through free agency. There's not a ton available on the free agent market. Um, you know, all of a sudden you're looking at, you know, having a, a pretty deep, pretty successful bullpen. And with the team not really deciding their direction this year, you know, Mike Hazen and, and company being a little hesitant to really make a big push this season. I think one of the things that's been neglected is the bullpen. Um, Frankly, if you're not sure if you're going to buy, sell, contend or not, the last place you're going to spend your money is the bullpen. So it's almost right. been, you know, mediocre by design. So I think uh, that's a place where, with a little investment and the core of the, you know, pretty much the entire rotation and pretty much the entire lineup coming back, plus Steven Souza Jr., uh, they really only have just like the one need. And that is a pretty good spot to be. To have a competitive team with one need that is fixable, uh, I don't. I, I I just I don't see any sort of teardown coming. And, and instead, I would start looking like they did last year when they acquired Matt Andrees, who had you know uh, control you know for for years to come. Uh, Eduardo Escobar and locking him up, Carson Kelly with years of control. I think they probably look to add someone who can you know maybe at this deadline who's really playing a pivotal role for them come this time again next season. Well, we've heard a lot of a lot of rumblings as of late about uh, David Peralta is one name who's come up. I think the Cubs expressed some interest in him. Um, I think I saw a report that the uh, Yankees have historically been interested in Robbie Ray, and maybe they would look to revisit that this trade deadline. Zach Granke, of course, has kind of been uh, a guy with, with ongoing a trade rumor surrounding his name, Jeff. Do you do you think it's do you think it's time that we can put those rumors to bed, and that it's safe to say the Diamondbacks probably won't be looking to deal any of those guys this this trade deadline? Uh, like like any good partner and a good relationship, I feel like Mike Hazen is probably a good listener, <laughs> uh, and I think he's probably he's probably going to listen to what what people have to say uh, right. in that regard. Um, you know, really understanding uh, Luke Weaver's health situation would probably go a long way in determining what to do with with Robbie Ray. Hmm. Um, there isn't a lot of of outfield depth that's really ready to contribute right now. 
Um, so moving David Peralta might be might be tough. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe there's a way that you you extend Adam Jones and Gerard Dyson and, and move Peralta and hope that Steven Souza is, is truly healthy and, and gets up to speed pretty quickly. Um, but that seems a little risky. I think that I think that he'll listen, but I just I just don't have a feeling that there's a whole lot to that um, that they're that they're really inclined to make that move because they're so well positioned for next season that moving those kinds of key pieces, uh, you know, it just depends on the return. I mean, maybe you can move a Peralta for for a good starting pitcher who's ready to go now, and it's kind of a swap. But hmm. yeah, that's really tough. I feel like Mike Hazen, in his time as the Diamondbacks general manager, has really never he's really never truly made a, a selling type of trade, at least not in not in his eyes. Um, and I, I mean, part of that is certainly due to the fact that the Diamondbacks have been a pretty darn good team since Mike Hazen took over here in Arizona, so he hasn't really had a need to. But I don't know if if Mike Hazen really. If he were to even deal a guy like David Peralta, which, as we've mentioned, I think we'd both be pretty surprised by at this point. But I don't think it would be your typical, you know, we give you a guy who's ready to contribute now and we get back prospects who will contribute in about three years. I think what the the kind of moves that Mike Hazen is is looking for, uh, he would probably call it looking for value or, or something along those lines, um, where you're, you know, you're willing to deal players who are good right now but there isn't any rule anywhere that says that if you deal players who are good right now, you have to get back players who are good later and not right now. And I think Mike Hazen has been um, a big champion of that in his time in Arizona. And I think, I think he will continue to be as long as he's a general manager. He seems to favor those kinds of deals. And I think this could be an opportunity for the Diamondbacks where, you know, maybe they're not going all in for this season, but maybe they're they're trading away a guy who's a little bit better right now for a guy who is still, you know, an adequate major leaguer today and, and is young and controllable and may have a bright future ahead of that. We've seen a lot of moves like that so far from Mike Hazen, you know, thinking about the Paul Goldschmidt trade where they got Carson Kelly and Luke Weaver back who have both... Uh, performed really well in their time this season. I think I, I would not be surprised at all to see Mike Hazen, you know, maybe deal someone who is good right now, but in return try to get someone who can also play right now today and is and is controllable moving forward. I agree with that. I, I think you're spot on, Jesse. And and that's like there's no you're right. There's no there's nothing that says if you make a move, it has to be, you know, for, for two or three years from now. It can be for right now. And so, I mean, we saw that with Paul Goldschmidt's deal uh, with his trade. Um, and I think that they would probably, you know, with that core coming back, probably look to do something similar. And I also think that that's what makes um, any kind of speculation or our even forecasting of, of who might move uh, really challenging. I think it makes it really, really hard um, to look at, uh, to look at who those trade partners might be, because it's not obvious. You don't think of the Yankees as a team that's trying to sell right now. That's mm. not, they're not, you know, on the radar, um, of, of teams that would be, be giving, a, giving away, uh, good players. Um, but at the same time, maybe they should be because they, they have so many of them. Um, so, <laughs> you know, maybe that is, you know, maybe that is something that they, that they entertain, but, um, yeah, I, I think that's. I think you're right, though, in, in the general sentiment. I mean, I don't think they're just going to uh, 
uh, give away Robbie Ray for for a guy in high A and two rookie league uh, prospects. Like I, I don't see that. That does not hmm. that does not work right now. I think if they make that push for um, if they make that push for 2020 uh, and something goes horrifically wrong in the first half of, of the 2020 season, you know maybe that's the point where they start selling off assets. But I just I don't know that they're going to go that way now unless what they're getting in return they think that can help them pretty much immediately. Last thing I want to hit on before we jump into some of our listeners' questions here in our 10th episode of the Rattle Podcast, uh, Keith Law, a writer for ESPN, just came out with his top 50 prospects list, um, which is updated for uh, for. Uh, the middle of the season, so he just kind of redid his rankings, and the Diamondbacks have three players uh, who made his top 50 list, those being Corbin Carroll, uh, who they just drafted about a month ago in the first year of player draft. He came in at number 24 on Keith Law's list. Jazz Chisholm, who we've uh, talked about quite a bit on the show, uh, he comes in at number 38, and then Alec Thomas, who we mentioned earlier, who uh, played in the Futures game on Sunday. He came in on the list at number 45. Uh, Christian Robinson, Jeff, I know is a guy who you've been uh, following a lot, being up there uh, in Hillsboro. Um, he has looked extremely good as of late, hitting 311 on the season. He's hit four home runs in his last seven games. Uh, Jeff, I just want to uh, really quickly just get your thoughts on on these guys who made the top 50 list of, of Keith Law and, and just kind of the, the continued narrative that, hey, this Diamondbacks farm system maybe isn't all that bad. Yeah, I mean, Keith has been... Uh, been really high on Corbin Carroll. Uh, he was a, a big advocate for Corbin Carroll, and I think he had him ranked, uh, I think, even inside his top five in terms of uh, draft-eligible uh, names uh, yeah. in June. So um, not surprised to see him up there, but that's good. And he's gotten off to a strong start in the Arizona League, uh, the rookie AZL. So nothing, no red flags there as of yet. Um you know, Jazz Chisholm has his warts. He has hit for a little bit better average um, of late. Still doesn't walk much. Uh, still strikes out plenty and hits the ball really hard. So I think you see a flawed player there, but but one that can probably contribute in time. Uh, and then, you know, Alec Thomas has been really a bright spot. And, and, and Corbin Carroll and Alec Thomas have been kind of comped to one another with, with Carroll sort of being advertised as – maybe a slightly better version of Alec Thomas from a, from a tool standpoint across the board. And with as good as Alec Thomas has played this year, um, <laughs> to think that Corbin Carroll has, you know, has better ability just kind of across the board, even if it's just marginally. So that's pretty exciting. Um, hmm. so that's really good. And, and I was actually out in Hillsboro on uh, Tuesday and got to see, uh, Christian Robinson hit his latest home run. Um, and he's he's been kind of interesting. I've had some some folks ask about his his strikeout rate, which is pretty high. Um, and folks have said, ah, oh, you know, is it kind of like Jazz Chisholm? And I think they're completely different. Um, hmm. Robinson doesn't swing wildly. Uh, he's not a hacker. I've seen him take a lot of first pitches. I think what's difficult for him right now is is every opposing team knows that he's kind of the guy in the lineup, and so he gets a lot of sliders and curveballs away. Uh, he doesn't get challenged with heaters when he does, he hits them or, or I've seen him foul balls off, but he fouls them straight back. I mean, he's on that pitch. Um, then the home run he hit on Tuesday was like a, 
like a hung changeup that he just like made an adjustment mid swing, kept his hands back and kept the ball fair. It was, it was almost foul, but it was very obvious that he deliberately tried to keep it fair and he did. Hmm. Um, so those are all things that I think are really positive, you know, and then when you look at him physically and he looks like he should be playing in the NFL as an 18 year old, <laughs> uh, that's all very exciting. So, um, that's really great. And the last guy I do want to just give a little, a little buzz to is, um, right-handed pitcher Luis Frias who's pitching for the hops yeah I think he's a guy that's going to jump up on some radars uh I've seen him I've seen two of his starts this year I mean he's routinely 95 to 96 uh touching 97 like and holding the velocity into the fifth inning uh he has a, a curveball that that he can he can really locate uh he can bury it when he wants to he can throw strikes when he wants to I haven't seen him hang one yet um, he's got a splitter that he doesn't throw very often, but I've seen a few of them and they're either wild or they're super nasty. So he, he <laughs> doesn't quite have a feel for that yet, but, um, that's a power arm with kind of an over the top arm slot that gets some playing on the fastball. I think, uh, I think he's a guy that, that, and in the rotation, he's going to need a little bit more refinement, but I think if you, you know, if at some point they put him in the bullpen, he'd move super fast and that's just a big league arm and, and, I mean, who do the Diamondbacks have right now that's pumping 95, 96, 97? I mean, they don't have that. And they got a kid, you know, they have some kids, you know, down at the lower levels that are doing that. So um, he's definitely one to watch. Jeff, do you think it's it's out of curiosity? Is it feasible that, you know, maybe three, four years down the road that the Diamondbacks in, in some combination, left field to right field, that they have Corbin Carroll, Alec Thomas, and Christian Robinson as their three starting outfielders on a, on a day-to-day basis? I don't know, but my my dynasty fantasy baseball team probably should. Um, <laughs> that's a that's a pretty exciting combo. I mean, there there are just so many variables. I mean, I think if I, I I hate to sound negative, but if even one of those guys becomes like a really good everyday player, like uh, you know, like a even like a Cattell Marte type guy, that's a victory. I mean, if you hit on one in three. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Um, however, with that trio, they may have a chance to to go two for three, or uh, you know, you never know how injuries are going to go or, or things of that nature. But it's, I mean, at this juncture, that is not outside of the realm of possibility in any way, shape, or form. And uh, there's a kid down in the Arizona League playing with Corbin Carroll named Wildred Patino, who was an international sign uh, in the same yeah. classes. It's Christian Robinson, and that kid looks pretty legit too. I mean, he's playing at a low level of competition, but I mean, he's just doing whatever he wants on the baseball field. So, uh, this offense, you know, in that outfield in three or four or five years is uh, potentially going to be really, really exciting. Well, that's exciting stuff for sure. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into uh, some questions from our listeners before we finish off this episode. Um, Joshua Lefferman. Um, submitted a question. He says, going off of what we've seen so far, do you think Cattell Marte will continue to emerge as our number one guy? He also has a follow-up. He says, if we have all, all of our guys back, uh, Duplantier, Clark, and Flores, and even farther, Christian Walker, is that enough to make a playoff push or is it too late? So kind of a two-parter uh, here, Jeff. I'll give you the option. You can go after either one of these questions. Cattell Marte, is he the number one guy? Or alternatively, 
um, with all these guys potentially coming back, is that enough to make a playoff push for this season? Yeah, I mean, I think we've I think we've touched on both of these. Um, yeah, I think I'll kind of look at the at, at maybe the the playoff end of that, and and I think that it's maybe just you know if I had a little more faith in what they might get out of a guy like Wilmer Flores, you know, I might be more inclined to say yes. Um, as it stands right now too, I mean, they could just start winning some of those one run games instead of losing them. And all of a sudden they're like leading the wild card race. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, you know, I think it's, it's, uh, I think it's maybe, you know, I, I don't count them out of this thing. I mean, they will play hard. Tory gets the most out of his guys and Mike Hazen will make moves. Um, I do think that they can make that push. Um, I really do. I, you never know who might get hurt tomorrow or the next day, but, um, I really think they can, they can make a run at this thing and and at the very least keep it interesting. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I think it's, you know, statistically unlikely when you are one of, you know, 11 teams in the national league in the playoff hunt. So it's definitely something that you can't really bet on in, in any sense, but to, I mean, to say it's impossible or out of the realm of possibility, I think is is really just ridiculous at this point. I mean, they're a game and a half out. Um, the other teams up in front of them are not playing particularly well, and neither are they. And and at some point, you know, one of these teams or two of these teams are going to separate themselves and come out on top of this thing. And there are other teams that I frankly like more than the Diamondbacks in this race. But to say that you know it's impossible at this point in the year, I think is, is just way off base. I think it's, it's absolutely a possibility. Would I bet on it? Definitely not. Yeah. I mean, Pittsburgh, you know, doesn't quite look like maybe they have enough. San Diego is a pretty young team. Um, you know, St. Louis has, you know, maybe some warts, uh, Philadelphia has got some issues. Jake Arrieta's having some trouble. So, and Milwaukee just, I mean, despite having Christian Yelich, who is like uh, the new Mike Trout, um, <laughs> you know, they haven't exactly run away with this thing either. I mean, they have a, a negative uh, run differential on the season. So, yeah, man, I don't know. I mean, someone's going to emerge, and I don't know the ins and outs of the clubhouse of all of these contenders, but I have a good feeling about Arizona, and I have a good feeling about the coaching staff, the manager, and the guys in that clubhouse and I think you could do worse than hit your hit your wagon to Arizona. I really do. Moving on to uh, at Craig in Phoenix, who submitted a really interesting question. We've kind of touched on this a little bit already, but Jeff, if there are any other names uh, that you want to throw out there, by all means. Uh, Craig in Phoenix says, with everyone else in the media picking the scraps of a team that is 1.5 games out of a wild card spot, not including us, Craig, we're with you. Um, and <laughs> plotting a sell-off of continuing with what the media is doing. He says they're plotting a sell-off of every good player except for Cattell Marte and Carson Kelly. Who do you think the Diamondbacks would target if they were dot, 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 buyers? So we've talked about this a little bit, Jeff. I know you threw some names of, of some mm-hmm. relievers out there, some guys they could look at. Is there any uh, any other players, any other names that come to mind, any other positions that you think they may look to uh, to make some additions to this this uh, trade deadline? You know, I think there's still a little trepidation about the rotation. Um, right. You know, having you know having Alex Young and, and Taylor Clark playing kind of major roles in the rotation is uh, far from ideal. You know, I I, I doubt they're going to uh, spend the trade capital 
of what it would cost to acquire a guy like Marcus Stroman, who's having a, a really great year this year. But, you know, uh, what do the Tigers want for, for Matt Boyd? Um, you know, what do, you know, are they just looking to kind of fill the innings and, and are the Reds or Pirates interested in moving guys like Tanner Roark or, or Jordan Lyles, um, you know, just looking for kind of like marginal upgrades. So if they are buyers, it's, it's probably more in that mold. I mean, we did hear the Mike Leak rumors, um, you know, those are probably some of the directions they could go. Um, even a guy, one guy who's been quietly very good this year is Mike Miner of the Rangers. Uh, I don't know that he's under team control any longer than this season, but he's been awfully good as, as, yeah. as a veteran starting pitcher with a, a super high spin fastball and a super high spin curveball. And the dude is just making those two pitches work for him. So those are some directions they could go if they're not looking to break the bank um, and still add a little bit outside of the bullpen because uh, you know you, you can't hope to to continue getting maybe what you've gotten out of out of Alex Young and and we've seen Taylor Clark be pretty up and down so you probably need a little more up and a little less down and maybe those guys give you that. At Andrew AJT uh, says he was watching Jimmy Scherfe in the AAA All-Star game. He mentioned he has a 0.98 ERA at the Major League level, which I believe is true. It's, it's astonishing. Um, and he wants to know what are the Diamondbacks waiting for? Uh, he also mentions that Scherfe has been good with inherited runners as well in his time uh, in the big leagues. Jeff, this is a, a question that, frankly, I've asked myself a number of times. What are the Diamondbacks waiting for when it comes to Jimmy Scherfe? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sort of in the same boat, man. I, I, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, you know, Scherfe's had some, you know, some control issues in the past, and, and you know, he sort of seems to it sort of seems to come and go for him a little bit, but he has been really effective. I don't know if it's a trust issue um, or that they're simply trying to, you know, continue to get something out of the guys they have. Um, you know, there's not a lot of, there aren't a lot of names here that you would probably send down from the existing bullpen. I mean, that's, that's kind of tough. Um, yeah. Stefan Crichton could be, could be sent, could, you know, could be sent packing or something of that nature. But does that really get you a lot more than, than, you know, is Sherpy, you know, that much of an upgrade there? I'm just not sure. Um, he seems like maybe kind of that, that, that tweener type who's, you know, probably okay, but not maybe great. He's probably not a 098 ERA, um, <laughs> major league reliever, but you know, I'm, I am also maybe a little perplexed that with some of the issues they've gotten that he hasn't gotten more of a shot. Um, hmm. That is a little surprising to me. I think maybe the obstacle there is just figuring out who to remove, and they're not quite ready to do that. But they are kind of getting also to crunch time where it's like, okay, you're going to have to – something's got to give. Um, someone's got to go, and, 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 and that may be the direction they go. Um, of interesting note, uh, Yasmani Tomas won the AAA Home Run Derby. So I just oh, yeah, no, that is true. And another another interesting <laughs> note on top of that, he hit 59 home runs in three rounds to do that. And Pete Alonzo, who won the Major League Home Run Derby that I was at, he hit 57 home runs in three rounds. So Yasmani Tomas actually hit more home runs to win the AAA Home Run Derby than Pete Alonzo did at the Major League level. Of course, Pete Alonzo was out-homered 
uh, by Vlad Guerrero, I think, by like 34 home runs all year. Vlad <laughs> Guerrero was almost up at 100. I think he had 91 home runs over the three rounds by the end of it. But yes, yeah, an interesting tidbit on Yasmani Tomas. I don't know if we're you know ready to necessarily say, hey, you won the home run derby, give him another shot. Uh, not sure exactly where he would fit in uh, on this roster. The Diamondbacks seem to have maybe some opportunities for openings on the pitching side of things, but... As far as position players go, those opportunities are, are yeah. not really quite as clear uh, no. at this point. Their outfield has been relatively healthy for, for the most part, except for Steven Souza. Um, so, yeah, not not sure uh, exactly where, where Tomas would fit into the equation. One last thing on Sherfy though. Uh, I just want to add, like, it, if ever there were a guy who has done everything he needed to do yeah. At the AAA level. Like, it, it's Jimmy Scherfe. I mean, I got to believe that pretty much everyone in the city of Reno, Nevada, probably has a Jimmy Scherfe jersey or polo or some kind of, you know, maybe a bobblehead because that guy has been branded as the AAA Reno Aces closer for probably two or maybe even three years now. Um, so I think he has done pretty much everything that he can do on his end. He was in the All Star game for AAA. I think it's only a matter of time before he gets the call up once yeah. again. The the only box left for him to check is uh, like sustained major league success because everything right. at the AAA level, he's been there, done that. And I mean, in fairness to him, like in the times that he's lost it and and had you know control and command problems, he's also fought through it and gotten it back. Right. Which which is is pretty positive because there's going to be times where you don't have your best stuff or something's going a little funky. And if you can refine it, um, you know, the good pitchers are able to do that. And, you know, that is one of the things that separates the guys that that are ultimately successful and the guys that aren't. We also got a question from at YT Black Knight YT. Um, who just asked, what do you guys think the Diamondbacks will do at the trade deadline? Wanted to at least acknowledge the question. Uh, thank you to Black Knight for submitting that. I think we've talked plenty about the trade deadline um, here in this episode, so hopefully um, we have adequately answered that one. Um, that is all the questions, all the content that we have here for the 10th episode of the Rattle Podcast. Uh, before we, we say so long, though, Jeff, I want to say um, have a good wedding. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it's coming up, rapidly approaching as we record this. I am like 10 days out. Uh, oh, no, nine days out. Even better. Uh, <laughs> you better You better keep up with the, with the countdown. Annie might not uh, approve of that too much. I know. I'm not sure if she's a big rattle listener. She hears me talk about baseball enough as it is. Uh, but fair. yeah, no, thank you very much. I, I appreciate it. And uh, it's going to be a good time. I'm really looking forward to it. And um We'll definitely be doing a little travel and whatnot afterwards. So, uh, you know, just going to try to unplug and step away a little bit. And uh, the Twitter will probably be quiet. Uh, I won't be posting uh, as much, you know, really anywhere for a while. But uh, as we were talking, the allure of the National League uh, playoff race will probably be too much for me to overcome. And I probably (laughs) will still be checking box scores from Europe. Oh, we absolutely believe it. Um, But yes, anyway, um, for those of you who are listeners of the show, what this means for you is that uh, Jeff may be stepping away for a few weeks to take time for the wedding and family, the honeymoon, all that good stuff. Um, So we'll probably have some uh, some guests coming up on the show. Uh, We'll be working on that, getting you guys some names of of some uh, some people who will be appearing on the show along with me over the next few weeks should be exciting to 
uh, to have some people maybe from the Diamondbacks, maybe from around the uh, Arizona media scene at large. Uh, so be looking out for, for those announcements. Uh, that, once again, is all that we have uh, officially now for the 10th episode of the Rattle Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you have not already, be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at, at the Rattle AZ. Uh, give a look at our website, www.therattle.net. Uh, If you missed it, Joshua Inman, one of our writers, did a really good job uh, talking about the Diamondbacks catching scene. Um, That article is still up on our website, so be sure to go check that out if you haven't already. Uh, That, again, is, is everything we have for this episode. Thanks again for listening, and we will be back with you in about a week to talk more about the Arizona Diamondbacks.